Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double breasted black blazer from a new to me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for, but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello and welcome. If you didn't catch last week's episode with Emily Nelson from High Fitness, you've got to. It really resonated with so many people. I've included a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on my website, aboutprogress.com. I occasionally write there as well, but you can also find more about the ins and outs of my life on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. Our audience is growing and I'm so thrilled. We are at 150,000 downloads now and picking up speed and I owe it to you. Thank you so much for subscribing and for sharing this podcast with others. Thank you for communicating with me and giving me feedback, either on my posts on social media or through direct messaging me or through iTunes reviews. We are now at 31 reviews, so well on to my goal of reaching 50 reviews by November, which is a year mark for this podcast. This is all to say thank you so much and please keep it coming. I want to talk now about the interview I am sharing today. Christopher Clark is a talented and highly awarded actor and director. He is also a professor and head of the theater department at Utah Valley University. On top of all of this, he is a father of five children and wife to Lisa. A little over a year ago, Chris was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. We first talk about Chris's incredible resume and his love of theater and directing, but then we cover the ins and outs of what it is like to transition to a new life with huge physical changes that have come as Chris's disease has progressed. Chris does so with such candor and humor. I know you'll be surprised by how much you'll end up laughing while listening to this episode. Before we turn to the interview, just a little heads up, Chris and I recorded in two segments and you'll be able to hear the difference between the two as we recorded the first section right at the busiest part of family life in the afternoon. 
The second section was recorded in the morning, so I just wanted to let you know why they might sound a bit different. I know you're going to love this interview, so let's give the rest of the time to Chris. Hi, I'm here with Christopher Clark. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. I've been so excited to have you on the show. I would love it if you could start by giving our listeners an, an introduction. Uh, to myself? Yes. Uh, okay. okay, well, my name is Christopher Chris Clark, uh, and I live in Provo. Uh, I was, I'm actually pretty much a Provo-born kid. I wasn't born here. We moved here when I was 10. But I went to BYU and live here now because I teach uh, theater at UVU. So I, uh, I'm 45. I've got five kids. Um, I, I'm pretty fascinating. <laughs> He's making a joke. <laughs> I said that to I'm him before. <laughs> you are fascinating. Um, uh, <laughs> we have so much we can talk about today. I know that many of our listeners will know that you were diagnosed with ALS a little over a year ago. So we will be spending a lot yeah. of our time about that. But first, I wanted yep. to talk about life before ALS because you have such an amazing resume. I told you that I found your resume online, which is kind of creepy, but it was there. <laughs> and you have the most amazing resume with your with your theater and your acting. So... I want to know first about that. Like, when did you first fall in love with acting? Um, okay, so it's it's hard to really pinpoint. Um, I when I was very little, uh, my mom had albums of uh, Broadway musicals. She used to play, and my sister and I used to act them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that may have been my first exposure to it um, when I was eight or nine, my mom uh, put me in a summer camp where they did uh, theater and drama. And um, they, I played Oedipus Rex in the version of Oedipus Rex, and my sister played my mother, which is really (laughs) funny because in that play, Oedipus marries his mother. Yeah. And I don't know, like, why we were doing that play. Um... (laughs) That's hilarious. I mean, I was eight years old. It's really strange. But anyway, I think that was kind of my first exposure to it. So when you decided to become a professional actor, was that something that surprised your family? No, not at all. I had done um, enough of it uh, that I think they were actually really supportive of it. Um, That's great which is a relief because I meet a lot of people whose parents are not supportive of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I was, was particularly surprised. Uh, but I, I didn't know. I actually thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I, really? I knew that I wanted to have a family and that it would be really hard to support kids as an actor. And so... I I I I kind of figured like in school I would go to law law school, but um, and in fact I told my wife I was going to go to law school, and I think I lied her, I lied to her a little bit because I never did. She thought she was marrying a lawyer. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, have you but acted a she lawyer before? An actor. <laughs> uh, no, no, but I mean, Dang isn't it. that what lawyer? That's what they do, right? I guess that's all true. performance anyway. It's kind of like, right. yeah, I mean, it's a performative job. Uh-huh. So um, I, I I think I did acting and theater all through high school because it was fun. I wasn't really set on doing it as a career mm-hmm. um, until, like, until, like, I became miserable. I was working in retail. Mm-hmm. I uh, managed Barnes & Noble stores and um, was miserable. And one day I just talked to my wife and said, hey, I, I need to do something I love. So we quit. We quit doing that job and moved to, moved to England for a, gr- a graduate program. 
Oh, wow. Hey, yeah. And is this so, with the globe? Is, I mean, I memorized your well, resume, okay. so. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was part of my graduate work. Because um, I went to the University of Exeter, cool. Exeter, which is in England. And, um, yeah, and, and as part of that, I worked at the Globe, which was super cool. That's amazing. And was that when you kind of had to come to terms that this was what your calling was in life, to to pursue theater? Um. Well, I think I think it was before that, because mm-hmm. I think it had to be before that that before I made that really difficult decision just to move, move out there. Um, So I think my wife and I were pretty, I mean, obviously there was a lot of like thought and prayer Mm -hmm. and, and everything that went into it because it's a huge decision. But we, we knew at that point, that's the direction I was going and I've never regretted it. That's great. Well, you know, you've done so many amazing parts. You've directed incredible plays. Uh, You talked about how you are a professor and you've been the chair of the theater department at UVU. So what were some of your favorite, I I don't know, favorite of all those things? I know that's probably hard to choose, but what was some of your favorite things you were involved with? Well, I think that nominally I'm... Uh, I'm a director more, more than an actor. Mm-hmm. I don't act a ton. I do a little bit, but um, my degree is in directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. And I love being able to work on sometimes out of the, not kind of out of the box, I guess, uh, types of uh, productions. I like doing things that are weird mm-hmm. <laughs> or challenging or just artistically different. I don't love doing the same plays over and over again in the same way. It's boring to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so my best experiences in theater have been, uh, I think when I've been able to um, create a vision, create a world that hasn't been created before. It's very fun for me. It's very exciting for me. You know, and you talked about how you are a family man as well. I mean, having five kids. Uh, so as you're as you are balancing this professional life, that I'm sure is super demanding and takes up a lot of um, family hours too. How how did yeah. your family inspire your work, and how were you able to deal with the professional ups and downs with with them on your mind? Well, I'm married to a saint. Um, yeah. I'm married to a person uh, who understands the value of arts, of the arts, who not only understands them, but promotes them. So my wife has always been super um, encouraging and helpful. And that's been hard, you know, because uh, I will I will have oftentimes worked a full day at the university and then I come home and have to go back to rehearsal an hour later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a, a, a special person to understand that. Um, and that's, that's Lisa. That's yeah. my wife. Um, and, and, and there is, there's a real sense of joy that I get from bringing my kids to see my, my stuff and to see them entertained by it. Or, I mean, I, I think my kids have been able to live a really interesting life because, yeah their dad creates things with, you know, unicorns and cyclops. And <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, people acting like pigs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, not everybody's dad does that. And my kids mm. to them, it's, it's the most normal thing in the world. And so I, obviously, I would say I love what I do, but my main goal has always been just to provide for my family. I'm just lucky, I guess, that I get to do it, you know, by doing something I love. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, you've taught your children, too, how, you know, your life might not look like the stereotypical life, you know, that they might imagine is right or correct in their heads, but it's right. very much right for them. 
Yep, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I, my wife and I are waiting to see if any of our kids are interested in theater. And they're kind of not, which is really, really? I mean, they love to go. They love to go, but but uh, at least the first three are all on different paths. I have one son that's uh, doing computers and commercial music, and another son who's very athletic, a daughter who's into science. So it's really oh. kind of interesting to see which way they're all sort of headed. Is is there a family favorite, a production that you've done that uh, seems to be the... <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant like a family, uh, like a child favorite. No, not a... Yes, uh, I'll tell you which one is my I'm sure that changes <laughs> daily. So what yeah, about totally. your, your productions, I meant? Uh, that my family loved? Mm-hmm. Well, it would hard, uh, it'd be hard to say, but if I had to guess... Um, about five years ago, I directed Xanadu, I which is a horrible that. musical uh, <laughs> based on the 1980 movie with Olivia John, and it's so ridiculous, <laughs> and uh, and I, it's so stupid and funny. And uh, I directed it about five years ago, and then we redid it last year again as a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So my kids are all very; they've seen it now many times. And um, I would say that's probably a favorite if I had to ask them. Let, let's turn now to your personal life. I feel like Oprah right now, but let's turn to your personal oh, life, great. Chris. <laughs> so, so I want to hear about what symptoms you ha- were experiencing before you got diagnosed with ALS. Okay, so I would say that I had symptoms about eight months before I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. This was in the summer of, of uh, 2015. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I was in Europe because uh, I did a study abroad program for UVU mm-hmm. for about 11 years. So I was in Europe and I noticed I was waking up at night with really bad cramps in my legs. And then when I came home, I just noticed that there was a, a deadness in one of my legs. It's hard to describe. It's like my, my leg was drunk, my right leg. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't work as fast as my left leg would. And there was just something dragging in there. Uh, <clears throat> over the course of that fall, it got progressively worse. Um, and we began to suspect that it was my back because... I had had back surgery back in 97 or 98. Okay. And we thought, okay, it's time for a tune-up, you know? Um, So around the first of the year in 2016, I started to see, uh, well, I went in for a series of MRIs, and um, they were looking to see what was wrong with my back. And as they progressed, they started to realize that, there was nothing wrong with my back. It's fine. Really? And that's when I noticed things started moving quickly. Suddenly I had different doctors calling me to come in and um, they don't tell you, you know, they don't tell you what they're testing for. They just tell you that we want to see you. Yeah. And um, so around the beginning of March of last year, I, had, I went to see a neurologist in Salt Lake. And she did some tests on me and had me walk. And by this time, I was barely walking. I, hmm. um, because wh- I mean, pain. without a... Or just it's like not necessarily that. painful. Mm-hmm. It's just they don't work. Mm-hmm. I see. And so, mm-hmm. so, I, um, so I'm trying to remember the, the sequence. So anyway, the, the, she said to me, um, just so you know, I'm... I'm worried about Lou Gehrig's. It was the really? first time I'd ever even considered it. I, I, I knew vaguely what ALS was. I knew who Stephen Hawking was. Mm-hmm. I knew about the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Um, but I never, it never entered my mind that I could have it. Um, 
but she said, I'm worried about it, which meant, hmm. um, which meant that, well, so my brother-in-law is a doctor mm-hmm. and he says, when a doctor says she's worried about something, it means you probably have it because mm-hmm. they won't name it unless they're mm-hmm. pretty sure. Um, and so, okay. So then, so then I'm Googling on my phone, yeah. uh, ALS as I'm leaving the doctor's office. And of course I see, you know, a lifespan of two to five years. I see all these terrible things oh my gosh, yeah. about it and yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. freaking out. Yeah. Um, and then it was about two weeks later that it was confirmed. I went in to a neurologist. Well, he, here in Utah Valley, and he he basically confirmed it and then sent me up to the University of Utah mm-hmm. three days later, and they reconfirmed it as well. So there it was. So when, when you did receive that diagnosis, what was your initial reaction to, you know, it being confirmed? That, that's interesting. Um because I think because this doctor had warned me of what it could be, mm-hmm. I sort of felt like it was coming. So when the exact moment came, I didn't, I didn't really fall apart. I, mm-hmm. it actually in a way felt good to finally have a diagnosis. When you're in limbo for so long, you just, you want to know what the monster is that you're fighting. Yeah. And, and so finally, to be able to put a name to it, I was surprisingly um, relieved. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I did have kind of a funny thing happen to me. Um, about a week before I was diagnosed, I um, I was in at Vancouver and um, on a work trip. And I, I was having real difficulty sleeping because I was really worried about whether I had Luke Gehrig's or not. Yeah. And so one night I was like, I stayed up watching TV and I thought, I'm just going to pick the dumbest thing on TV and watch it because it'll get my mind off this whole thing. So I, I, I found The Love Boat, which is a, you know, super stupid show yeah. from when I was a kid. And um, I started watching that and I thought, this, this will totally distract me. I'll go to sleep. Anyway, in this episode <laughs> of The Love Boat, um, this man, lady, you know, on that show, everyone always has, like, relationship issues. And um, anyway, this man and this lady are having issues, and she takes him to the ship's doctor. And while the doctor's talking to him, uh, he notices that the man, like, dropped things, uh, dropped objects. Yeah. And he's like, He's like, I'm sorry to tell you this, sir, but you have Lou Gehrig's oh, disease. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what are the what oh, are the odds that on the love boat seriously? someone gets the ALS <laughs> while I'm super and stressed out about a, it? Yeah, such an anticlimactic. What a weird thing! Too. Like a, that is weird. right, exactly. Yeah, oh super goodness. weird. Anyway, so I kind of <laughs> felt like that was a sign from God, you know? Yeah. Like you're not getting out of this. And through Can't the be love distracted boat. from this. Yeah. Who, yeah. <laughs> who, who knew? So for people yeah. who, who don't know, I mean, they've probably seen the Ice Bucket Challenge. They've heard of it. Yeah. Um, but but how, how do you just describe Lou Gehrig's disease to people who don't have enough um, information on it? Sure. So it's a motor neuron disease. That it, it attacks my muscles. And it, it's different for different people. For some people, it can start in their hands. For other people, it can start in their mouths, in their throat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate in a way. Mine started in my legs and has moved up. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> my legs are pretty much out of commission. I, ca- I can't walk. I'm in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. My hands aren't super great. Um, and it's affecting, obviously the way I talk now, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it slows down. It weakens your muscles, um, and becomes very debilitating. Uh, 
if it continues on the the trajectory it's on, I I will lose my ability to speak at all, mm. and and uh, and that's kind of <laughs> the road we're going down. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how to stave that off for as long as as possible. Is is that almost the the hardest thing to take, knowing that you won't be able to speak, or is there something else that you are especially yeah dreading? that that's the worst part because mm-hmm. I feel like my personality is in my voice, and so when that's gone, I feel like I'm just really boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. or I think you know what's also weird about this whole thing is that they don't know what causes this disease. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it is. It's not genetic. Um, they're trying, and that's part of the reason why it has some more. It has no treatment or no, no cure because they don't know what's causing it. So it's hard to pinpoint treat if you don't know where it's coming from. So it's a big. There's a shroud of mystery hanging over it, and um, and so that's. I think that's frustrating. For us and for everyone mm-hmm. that has it, it's just trying to understand and comes to come to terms with why we even have it. So they the treatment um, you said they don't have ones that to to treat the cause, but I do they just spend their time treating the symptoms more as much as they can, but there's really not much really? that they can do. No, and when I was. <laughs> When I was initially diagnosed, they told me to get fat, put on really? weight, which is a nice, a nice thing to hear. They <laughs> said, eat whatever you want, as much of whatever you want. Um, yeah, because people who have a little weight on them tend to last longer. Oh, told wow. me to sleep more, so that's a nice thing. Always to sleep more mm-hmm. and and not to go to the gym because. Yeah. Uh, because they don't want me to expend energy. My energy is pretty limited, mm-hmm. so I have to be very careful how I use it. So, but but that's kind of it. There's yeah. no real medication I can take. I take the things that kind of help, but there's no. Man, I wish there was some kind of a uh, yeah. a magic pill, mm-hmm. but we all wish that, yeah. and it's just not yet. Back to when you first uh, got diagnosed, you said it, it was this strange feeling of um, relief and finding out what it finally was. Yeah. But afterward, did you have some intense grieving to do or anger that that came up for you? And, and if so, how did you deal with that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, okay, so, well, I mean, you have to sort of know my personality. I'm not a very angry person. Mm-hmm. And so I never really had any of those moments where I was, um, you know, cursing God. And and I don't judge people who do because mm-hmm. it, it would be very easy to do. But I, I've always kind of like rolled through the punches. And so... I, I accepted pretty quickly that this was something I believe that I agreed to in a previous life. Really? Um, so, 
but there was definitely a grieving period, a really difficult grieving period mm-hmm. for me and for my wife mm-hmm. and my kids as well. I mean, what you're grieving is a future that you probably won't won't have, and yeah. so it's hard. There's just question marks hanging everywhere. How how long am I going to live? What will I be able to see from my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, it's stressful in a way. Yeah. And I think we went through a grieving period, and I'm sure we still are. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely a period where we were in shock, and it just didn't, it felt unreal. And now, you know, a year and a half later, I feel like I've come to terms with it. Not like I've given up, but... I understand this is my life. This is how my life is now. And uh, and I kind of just have to accept that role, <clears throat> accept that and roll with it mm-hmm. um, and, and make it as positive of an experience as I can. Hmm. So I, uh, we've, we've already kind of talked a little bit about the changes you've experienced the past year physically, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how the disease has unfolded for you the past year and what impact it's yeah. on you. Um, and would you like to hear about what affected me physically first or that'd be great. Are you, or more that. emotionally. Okay. Start with um, physical, but I want to hear emotional, um, emotionally. Yeah, as well. of course. Well, it's all kind of tied together. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to, really list one without the other, but, um, physically. So, you know, it, it started in my legs, uh, specifically it started in my right leg and then eventually kind of crossed over to my left leg. Mm. Um, and, and then really it's worked its way up as we kind of suspected it would. Um, and maybe a better way to say that is it's worked its way in, uh, because oh. it, started in my hands. Uh, I, I mean, once it kind of progressed through my legs, it went to my fingers and my hands and then start, it's all moving in basically towards my lungs. Um, which is how most people with ALS pass away is through, uh, um, well, basically through suffocation, oh, which is really? not fun. Yeah. Well, um, that's an understatement, because, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, because your your lungs kind of shut down. Wow. Um, and so what what's in well, there's many things interesting mm-hmm. about the disease, but one thing that's interesting is that um, it starts in different places for different people. If it were to start in my throat or mouth, which it does for many people, the uh, the pathway to the lungs is much quicker. So in a way, um, I was lucky, <laughs> if you could say lucky, okay. um, that might started in my legs because it, it, it did sort of buy me more more time. Mm-hmm. I'm at the point now, obviously, I walk, I'm in a, uh, I have a motorized wheelchair. Um, I can put, uh, I can put weight on my legs, but I I can't really stand without someone next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my hands, I, I mean, I can't write. I can feed myself, sort of. Mm-hmm. But but lately, I've just been having my wife feed me just for the sake of speed. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be like at a in front of a dinner plate for an hour if I try to feed myself. So, um, so I'm kind of in a place where I'm without the use of my legs or my hands. Um, and, and then most recently I, <clears throat> it's affected my, my tongue and my lungs, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, which is why I sound the way I do now. Um, because my tongue is slowing down and I don't always have enough breath to finish sentences. So that's kind mm-hmm. of where I am physically. It's kind of a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
but uh, emotionally, I've come to a pretty good place. Um, and and part of that may have to do with my drugs, um, <laughs> okay. because I'm pretty well medicated. Yeah. Uh, but another part of it is is having uh, dealt with this for two years now. Mm-hmm. This just sort of feels like my life, and um, you know you kind of get on with it. You get on with life. That's kind of where I am right now. That wasn't an overnight thing. Of course I didn't, not. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and and you know, I'm still on this journey. It's uh, it's not going to immediately get better, mm-hmm. and there, I'm gonna have some really hard times ahead. I know, um, but I just have to take it sort of day by day, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times people who are battling a lot of mental illness, you know, like depression, anxiety, a lot of people say, you know, choose happiness, choose happiness. But I actually do hear people who I talk to who have suffered with these things, they do say there is an element of choice there. And I've been wondering with you how that came into play, this ability to still try to choose um, this acceptance that you talked about gaining, um, and the humor that you seem to turn to as well as your family. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's a choice. I think that's, I'm glad to hear that other people are saying that because, um, I don't really think of myself as a Pollyanna or, Mm -hmm. or someone who's like sickeningly sweet. Uh, (laughs) I, I do, I do think you have to choose happiness because um it's your life you you know what i mean like it's you you are in control of your own personal happiness and i could lay in bed all day sick and angry or i could uh choose to laugh and and you know get out of my house Mm -hmm. and and uh make uh, a happy life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't find that it's any more difficult than it was before. My problems have just changed. I, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. They weren't. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. A friend of mine who also has ALS, uh, when he was uh, when he was diagnosed, the doctor said, "You have, you know, you have ALS, Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease." And then pointedly told him, uh, please don't commit suicide. Oh. Which, yeah, right? Which is fascinating. You know, it wasn't a joke. Yeah. And um, you could easily do that. And, I mean, uh, that means, like, actively committing suicide. But it also means just resolving yourself to, well, this is a thing... I have, and I'm going to die. And then you quickly die. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something to be said for <clears throat> staying busy. Uh, you know, I'm still working full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I still direct. Yeah. Well, I just have to, you know, mm-hmm. because it keeps me, I feel alive. I feel productive. There's a huge, huge difference I think in making that choice and what about your family I imagine that each one is different I mean you do have five children you know I do yeah yeah so they probably all responded to this differently but overall how has the progress gone there with uh trying to you know move forward and accept this new new life um, well, you're exactly right. Each one of them seems to process this whole thing differently. Um, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know how they would respond. And um, and they're doing great. They really are. In fact, I, I joked to my wife, Lisa. I would say, um, I w- why aren't the kids more sad? <laughs> why, why aren't they upset? And, oh, and, yeah. sh- and she just says, um, because we're teaching them how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And if anything, my kids have become super uh, helpful. 
the it's almost their way of dealing with it is by being active. They, you know, um, they help feed me. Uh, my oldest son dresses me every day. They they all just kind of jump in with you know what do you need? How how can we help? And it really does feel like a team effort. Uh, of course, they have moments, um, and a lot of times I'm sure I don't I don't see them, um, but. I think a proactive life is the best way to deal with something like this in a, in a family. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that. I see that proactiveness and, you know, that humor you mentioned too. I mean, your Instagram <clears throat> feed is, is just hilarious. I, I laugh <laughs> every time you post something. I mean, that even That's the list. Awesome. Oh, it's so great. And uh, even the list like uh, Lisa had made for your oldest son about the to-do list of taking care of you yeah. that morning, and you said it takes a village. You know, I just love that you're, how you and your family yeah. are, are like you're saying, proactive and, and and turning to that humor as well. Well, yeah, and that's kind of how we've always been. Uh, you know, my wife is incredibly funny, and, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, she's – people know her from uh, – the chat books commercials where yes. she's on a show <laughs> called random acts mm-hmm. or she was a once I was a beehive and she's very funny. She's she a is. funny person. And so the two of us together, I think we deal with this with a good touch of, of, um, joking. Um, because <laughs> it's ridiculous. This whole thing, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we know another way to deal with it, but I, I do think our kids pick on that mm-hmm. and um and they joke as well you know yeah it's just the way our family operates it's not every family but it's it's us so you know this this disease i mean like you said you can uh, let it own you in so many ways and i love just what you do to stay proactive but also to be motivated in your personal life to continue to progress and i was curious what are you doing right now to to push yourself beyond just this physical uh, elements yeah. that you can deal with every single day. But, I mean, you talked about you still direct and are still working. Uh, tell me more about what you're doing there. Okay. Well, well, you, you're asking that a kind of bad moment because, <laughs> uh, well, only because I'm in between directing jobs. Oh, I see. So I'm not directing right now. And I'm out for the summer for the school. UVO. So (laughs) yeah, right now I'm kind of doing nothing, but I do have a show coming up in the fall that I'm directing at UVU and I'll go back to work, uh, full time. Well, I'm still full time. It's just, I'm not in the office, Mm -hmm. uh, in August, uh, you know, the semester starts again and I'm planning to be there. Um, That's great. They've changed my load, which is really cool at UVO so that uh, I'm not teaching big uh, classes, big lecture classes. Yeah. It's just hard for me to talk. So now what I do is I work more with senior student um, mentorship, internships, that kind of stuff, and I'm still able to work. So... So um, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to um, getting back to a, a fall semester, being productive that way, um, and then starting to direct again in the evenings. I have kind of a, a cool uh, passion project that I'm going to do this fall. And so like stuff like that keeps me going, knowing that I have these things coming up. Mm-hmm. It keeps me invigorated. And, uh, and I know that I have to, uh, I have to really show up Mm -hmm. or I'm going to let people down. So it's, it's good to have that, that in my life, I think. You know, I was thinking aside from being told you can sleep as much as you possibly can (laughs) and eat as much as you possibly can, has anything else good come from this? Um, yeah, totally in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have seen, I, I think I have a better lens to see the goodness of people. I, I've seen people respond to this, 
in the most incredible ways. People come forward to help and they'll say, how can I help? And, you know, initially people would say, we want to help, but we'd say, well, there's nothing to do. Don't worry about it. But now Elise and I both have said, I've just decided to say yes. So when someone says, can I help? We'll say, yes, what can you do? And it could be something as simple as, you know, somebody knows how to uh, fix sprinklers or, you know, someone might want to come in and help clean the kitchen once. Do you know what I mean? And, and people love it. People love to help in whatever way they can. And so that's been super good for me because I look back on my life before my diagnosis and I think, you know, was I one of these people? Was I willing to help? And I, I don't know if I was. And so it's super good for me to see that and go, wow, there's some incredible people mm-hmm. in this world, like genuinely good people. So I'd say that's, that's some of the good that's come from it. That's great. Um, you know, Chris, I, I was wondering if someone, uh, you know, was diagnosed with the same disease, if there was something, some one key piece of advice that you would give to them at the start, um, what would you say? I, you know, I would just give them some advice that was given to me by my doctor uh, and, and has proved to be true, which is, um, he called it the 15 minute principle, which is you can have 15 minutes every day to cry and feel sorry for yourself. And then you need to get back into action. Mm. And I've lived by that. I thought that was so great. It's yeah. like, there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with feeling awful mm-hmm. about everything. There's nothing wrong with uh, being depressed about it. At some point, you know, you need to get back to life and live as much as you can, mm-hmm. uh, as hard as that is. And there certainly have been really hard days, you know, in the past year and a half. Um, but you have to get up and and live, you know, getting back into bed and closing the curtains and shutting yourself off from the world will only hasten the end. Hmm. And so I love that. I love that idea. Me too. <sighs> it's think, really cool. Well, so many people can can take that on, even if they don't have an illness. You know, like you, you they can take that sure. on if they yeah. have some really hard life things handed to yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. And there's nothing wrong with being sad, um, mm-hmm. but it, it can't control your life. Well, I don't know if you feel like you've already answered this, but I'm still going to answer uh, ask it anyway because I okay. do this as my <laughs> final question for each guest. And I oh, always Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so, you know, you can take this wherever you want. Um, but I always ask what have you learned about yourself the past few years? So, it's kind of like what have you learned about yourself throughout the the past yeah. two years of dealing with this? Um am I allowed to be spiritual? Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess primarily I've learned that God loves me. Mm. Um, I've learned that um, the atonement is real and that, uh, that you know, I grew up hearing that, uh, that Christ uh, took uh, the sins of the world on him, but he also took the pains of the world and never really... Um, paid much attention to what that meant, the pains of the world. But now I understand. It just means that these things that I'm suffering, um, he's he's taken that on. He's felt that. And he understands. So uh, spiritually, I feel incredibly blessed to have this experience, oddly enough, mm-hmm. um, because I've learned it's brought me so much closer um, to the other side. I've also learned that, um, like I mentioned, that people are incredibly genuine and um, thoughtful, and I need to allow them to do that mm-hmm. um, because uh, I'm I'm an independent person. I'm a I'm a um, assertive person, and and this 
this illness is really not my nature. And I've learned to let people <clears throat> help me and say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also learned the value of family and it is especially my wife, who's my primary caregiver, mm-hmm. but also my, my partner. And, um, I've learned to value her more than anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of it. Well, that's pretty oh, amazing, thanks. I'd say, Chris. <laughs> well, Chris, this is absolutely going to go down as one of my very favorite interviews. I'm so grateful oh, thank you, you take the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem. I'm happy to do it. Chris, for my heart, this interview meant so much to me. I am truly amazed with how honest you are with your struggles, but how brave you are in the outlook you have chosen to take of them. I have sent the MP3 of this interview to Chris for him and his family to have, and I've been able to include more photos on my website that he sent me that has his family in them. If you are interested, you can find that at aboutprogress.com. If you'd like to check in on Chris, you can follow him on Instagram at Topher underscore Clark, and that's T-O-P-H-E-R. As you can imagine, he is very entertaining there, but also still real about what challenges he is facing. I highly recommend you follow him. He'll bring a smile to your day. I'd love to hear how you have been inspired by Chris. You can let me know by a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at About Progress or by emailing me at packerprogress at gmail.com. You can also email me there if you'd like to nominate someone to be on the show or to be highlighted for my Do Something Spotlight that I now do the last episode of the month. Remember, the do something is short for do something that scares you, where people try big things and small to face their fears, to do things that they've put off so long, or to share the results that they get when they are brave, even if they're a little entertaining or disappointing. I now interview these spotlights for about 10 minutes, and I love to do that because we get to actually hear their voice. Next week, I will be sharing an interview I did with Lizzie Jensen. She is the creator of The Small Seed, a non-denominational website and Instagram account that shares daily doses of spirituality and reminders that God is real and that following him is what life is still about. She shares about her own life and how she learned to find what her mission is and how in turn you can too. You can tune in next Wednesday for that episode and until then, take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.